and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. Neil Betty works in rhino conservation and is based in South Africa. He got there after studying horticulture in the botanical gardens and conservation management in the Republic of South Africa. He left Clongos in 2004. Neil, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rosa. Tell us, what are your memories of the place, CWC? Thinking about it, like, so I'm fresh, fresh up off the boat from South Africa. I'm trying to do some conservation work while I'm here, but... The rhinos in Dublin? No, there's no rhinos in Dublin, but we have some. We have some very interesting links between Ireland and South Africa that we're working on getting uh, some canine dogs that are being trained to track people and getting them out to South Africa to help with some of the rhino conservation work that we're doing. So we're actually working on such sort of a feature film, Mm. sort of these short out. I'll maybe. You can put the link in the, yeah, the notes and I can get definitely. people to have a look and they can yeah. see what we're doing. Yeah, but we're doing some good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think my journey would have kind of, st- Klongo's journey started before Klongo's. I always remember being taken there as a, a young lad because my dad was, Paul Betty was still very in, involved with the school since he left. He always did the golf days. So a lot of people know him from we do. We organizing do. golf outings. Mm-hmm. But I used to sit on the bottom. Uh, Betty's such an unusual name. Yeah, it, it, it stands out. There's, it stands out, yeah. There's literally no other Bettys in <laughs> Ireland. But apparently we originate from somewhere in Kerry. Oh, do you? Which all the Munster lads in my year, yeah. they won't enjoy that. <laughs> I wore a Munster jersey once in, in Clongos and I've never been... Yes, communicated. So now I'm fully Leinster. I'll be going to a Leinster match tomorrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but now I remember as a, geez, must have been six, seven year old young lad sitting on the, the bottom of the, the stairs below the higher line study beside mm. the, the old theater. It yeah. used to be a big president's board and mm. my grand still there. My granddad used to paint all the, the names in gold leaf on. So I used to sit there and watch him do that yeah. as all the students would come down and fill those old cabinets with yeah. their books and yeah. messing. And I was just looking up at all of these older kids going about their lives in Clongos, but there's, you know, everyone talks about that unique smell and mm. yeah, just running around the concourse, looking at the trophy cabinet, smashing pool balls again yeah. <laughs> along those massive pool tables that eventually got smaller as yeah, I got older. Grew taller. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I always remember Clongos in that way. And we, and me and my family were like a little bit of a production line for my father <laughs> during the, the, when he was organising the golf and outings, so we got to lick the envelopes that he got was. sent to, out to all of the Clongonians <laughs> yeah. that were were get, or being organised for the golf days. So yeah, we were we were working for Clongos. Or I was at an early for, age. At an early age. So the yeah. place was never intimidating for you or scary or no, not at all. I like I used to do Union Days back when Union Days were full of the the games and yeah. the old science corridors yeah, and and. And the, the raffles and the students were like very involved in, in, in making those days amazing for everybody that was yeah. traveling. Um, back it used to be a big day. Yeah, there was a lot more alcohol involved, I think. <laughs> picnics, <laughs> yeah. yeah. the picnics. Yeah. And the weather always seemed to be good as yeah. well. Of the one day in May, the last Sunday, yeah. it seemed, even though it was raining all week, somehow Union Day always seemed to get they were sunny. The, they were the best weeks of the yeah. year, though. Yeah. I, you remember just everybody yeah. out 
rugby was over, soccer yeah. was on, athletics, yeah. Yeah, and is, yeah. the nights were long and we were just yeah. out yeah. for as long as possible. But no, uh, Clongos wasn't a scary prospect for me. And were you homesick at any point? No, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> never. There was like, look, it offered a, an awful lot of stability for me. Mm. We moved around a lot when I was young. And then as soon as I arrived in Clongos, there was just like, Routine and this organization. When you say moved around, but no, we just, we just, we, yeah, we just, we moved houses a lot right. when I was when I was younger, and then so arriving, I think I'd moved three times by the time I arrived yeah. in, in in Clongos, so it was just offered this stability mm. and this constant, and my friends were always around me, yeah. and I was I was the same friends, and right? I was de- developing yeah. friends that were doing all the same stuff as me, and we were growing in the same sort of interests, yeah. and we were living the same sort of lifestyles. So, yeah, it's just the it really was a stable, stable place that I I grew. No, a I can relate to that. I mean, I went yeah. to four or five schools before Clongo, so yeah. Clongo was one place I stayed for six years. Yeah. So the constancy of that, I can relate to what you're yeah. saying, is it provided that basis yeah. to continue, and yeah. you build from there. Yeah, no, it was it was it was an absolutely fantastic experience. <laughs> and there was no bad points. No. <laughs> well, look, like no one no one really liked school, you know. <laughs> I wasn't the most academic. I tried as as hard as I could, mm. and I did I did all right. But you know, I was always more interested in running out to the forests. <laughs> so since since <laughs> yeah, that nature thing for me has always been where did that come from. Do you know? cons- I I don't know. It's like a language to me if yeah. I think about it. Mm. Some people speak in numbers and mm. it makes sense to them. Mm. Anything about nature just makes a lot of sense to me. And I remember <laughs> I remember spending a lot of time over the six years out in that perimeter out there. Yeah. With, with various uh, friends, we'd, we'd go out there, but we were out there playing manhunt or, yeah. <laughs> or um, you know, like building traps for the cross-country runners to fall into, <laughs> but mainly just exploring. Someone had convinced us that people had built an underground system of tunnels. Yes. I think we spent our first year, like when we were 12-year-olds, me and my best friend, uh, uh, one of my best friends, Nilo Manny, we spent a lot of time um, searching for those when we were 12 and 13 years old. There was nothing there. There was nothing there. But yeah, it was like we were always interested in nature and like outside of sports. Mm. I always found myself out, you know, going and for walks in the pleasure grounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I found rugby, yeah. nothing else mattered. Yes. It was like a great source of, you know, stress relief. You could just walk out and mm. you can leave all your problems on the pitch. Mm. All that aggression, that controlled aggression. Yeah. Just a fantastic way to regulate a teenager, young teenage yeah. males, you know, and run off the energy stress and, yeah. and, and, and aggro. And yeah, like we had some pretty good times on the rugby pitch. I said I promised I'd bring up our, in 2003. We were one of the only teams. We, we were in the Fosters League. We were the on panel three. Uh, mm. We were the fifths. I mean, we'd entered the, the thirds league and we beat Clongo's fourths. That's right. Uh, or was it the thirds? Third, we beat the Clongos thirds third, as, third. as the fifths yeah. and took the Fosters Cup yeah. that year in Donnybrook. Yeah. And I think we were the only team that year to be hoisted on shoulders and brought through oh. the doors. So I even still have the team sheet and there's, there's, it was a good mixture of three different years of, of students. But yeah. Brendan Chalvey um, was an car- English teacher, man from Kerry, has to be credited with the with the 
the genius of bringing that team together and anyone who, who is listening will know what he did that <laughs> did that year. Yeah. Much to the annoyance of some of the other panels, but we pulled together a fantastic team. And the Super Thirds got over it, did they? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they, I mean, like 2004 was the Senior Cup team went out to Black Rock. I think that sticks a, yeah. a, a lot more in a lot of the guys' minds than what we did the year before <laughs> when we were married. You know, that yeah. was my that was my claim to fame. Hey, stick to it. Yeah. And when you look at the disciplines you learned in Clongus and where you ended up now and the whole conservation thing, what kind of principles did it give you and you could say you'd, where you are now came from there or didn't you learn to somewhere else? I think resilience is definitely one. Mm. But, but what I'm doing, South Africa is such a volatile place. Like I'm up on the border of Zimbabwe. There's a lot but of... far north, aren't you? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, South Africa's there's good infrastructure. Mm. You know, a lot of people think it's just, there's lions walking down the street, <laughs> but there's not. Yeah. You know, but I'm quite remote. We're on the borders of a lot of different countries. So there's a lot of movement of wildlife, but there's also a lot of movement of people and smuggling. And mm. so it's a quite a hardcore community. They're, it's very rural. It's very mm. conservative. And I'm trying to bring a different mindset to the area that we operate in. My job is, just, I can do anything I want as long as I can find the money to do it. Good, so yeah. it's like, you, keep, you get knockbacks and you get back up. And like, mm. you know, we have poaching events, we lose rhinos. It was like, do we give up? I have to keep that, try and keep that confidence in the, the, the rhino owners not to give up on mm. the species because they're so important. It doesn't matter if it's, if they have one rhino or a hundred, if there's habitat, we need the rhinos in these, in these spaces. So I, I'm there to keep their confidence and resilience is... As a species, it's still surviving. Yeah. Healthily. It's doing all right. Mm. It's it's under heavy management now in South Africa. And what does management mean in terms of, is it protection or...? Yeah, protection. Um, like, you know, it's hard to find an extra million rand a year just for for just this one species on on, on a reserve that's full of different wildlife that needs protection. But in terms of the management, the national parks have lost a lot of the rhinos. Um, they? Yeah, it's just, it's, they're, they're much bigger spaces. It's a, it's a lot harder to protect. They're infiltrated nightly and they have teams of poachers, up to 20 yeah. teams of poachers walking around with high-powered weapons hunting. Whereas... Sounds like an industry. In its oh, it's life. crazy. It's crazy. Well, it's, it is an industry. It's mm. uh, the illegal wildlife trade is the fourth largest criminal trade in in the world. So, and all of those, the the ones above are con all connected. They're all connected to each other. So, whether mm. it's people trafficking or um, drug trafficking, or but yeah, the the so a typical day for you would be typical day for me is I have to make sure that the the reserve owner knows where the rhinos are. Um, so we report back on them. So I, the, my team will go out and they'll track and they'll monitor and they report on all the individuals, make sure they're okay. And uh, that takes one stress off. We know we haven't had any incursions from any mm. poachers or anything like that. We've just actually put in a new system that now I can watch them remotely, but that required creating a private cell network on the reserve which meant climbing up to every high point yeah, and building way. these towers yeah. and so now the, the, the collars communicate with the towers and then I get real time time data you can data. see the movement yeah. where they are and over a year each, each day it collects one point 
over an entire year, you can see um, you can see how these animals move through their habitat. So it's it's, it's not just for protection, data collection, and, and the kind of space they're moving in is yeah, what kind of size? Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Oh, huge. We are about eighteen thousand hectares, hoping to go up to twenty-seven thousand soon. But that's about a hundred square kilometers, mm. and we're one of eight reserves in the area with rhinos. There used to be over twenty. But they, a lot of them just, like, they can't, they just couldn't stay going with the amount of money that they need to. to Did you fund it by donations or government? Yeah, stuff? it's like, look, their private reserve is a business that has to find yeah. money to yeah. run. And if you have an animal like a rhino that's just a black hole that you're throwing throwing money into, then it's, it's easier for some of these reserves just to rem, remove rhinos out of the landscape. Mm. A lot of these people, you know, it's their livelihoods and it's their lives and their families are actually being targeted also. So it's a security issue, not just for the animals, it's a security issue for the people. Mm. And with 13,000 private reserves in South Africa making up most of the habitat, when we get going back to the management issue, that's why private reserves are so important for species, the rhino species, because if there is habitat, then we need to be able to have rhinos in those areas to keep the species going rather than people opting out of having them. You can only contain so many rhinos in a certain space mm. and then you need to have virgin habitat to create new populations to make sure genetics stay yeah. viable. Yeah. So there's all these different, there's the nuances, there's all these different levels. You best it's be, easier said than done. That, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you get me started on this, I'll talk forever. You want to do a podcast on, yeah. <laughs> on, on rhinos? When you say management, it's sometimes the polite word for saying you have to... Uh, we have, stock yeah, we have to move anim, we have to move animals around. You know, we have to swap out for genetics like stud breeding with yeah. any kind of animals. You know, you can't keep running the same animals in a field where their offspring are oh, in a closed space. Like everything in yeah. South Africa is fenced, yeah, so true. animals can't migrate. So because they can't migrate, we have to manage for good genetics. Mm. And it's fine when you have a big space and the normal antelope, or they kind of regulate themselves. But with the bigger animals like elephants and rhinos, you have to be a little bit more conscious of what you're doing management-wise or else you just start inbreeding. And you're saying culling could be? Sometimes culling, mm. but not, look, not for rhinos. Yeah. They're just too endangered mm. or they're too threatened depending on the, the, the species, whether it's black or white. But yeah, like, you know, there's some serious decisions that need to be made outside of everybody's feelings. Mm. And we spoke just before we came on, we were talking about nature is a very emotional, we're connected to nature mm. emotionally. That's why we go for walks and it resets us. Yeah. Or we go camping and we feel better. Mm. But when you're working as a conservationist in nature, your feelings are secondary to you making really practical decisions to make sure a piece of land is preserved for 200 years into the future, way past what impact I'm going to have yeah. on the land or, or whatever. So it's a very interesting career because it's... it's How did you make that walk from looking for tunnels <laughs> in Plain or Maynum out of South Africa? Anybody that knows me from days in Dublin or in Clongas, if you really knew me, I was always had my head in a bush or mm. <laughs> right? look, look, scrummaging around on the ground, yeah. looking at stuff and always fascinated by birds and and the wildlife that we had. An opportunity came up and you took it, is that it? Just after I finished my horticultural degree, I was like, everything I'm, I was doing landscape architecture and I kept excluding people from everything and trying to find (laughs) ways to put more nature in. Mm. And, you know, that idea 
of the ethos in, in Clongas when we were there was very much, there was a men for others ethos driven. And I think while I have my issues with it, mm. it, it gave me a basis to think about, you know, what did I want my life to look like? Mm. And it's very easy in nature to see the bigger picture because it's so grand. It's, mm. it's everything around us, you know. And so in Klongos, you learn to dedicate yourself to things or you learn resilience. Mm. And so as soon as I decided to, to go off and explore nature in a way that I felt that I need to understand it more, where do you go? You go to Africa. It's not going to happen in Ireland. We barely, we barely understand that we have a nat natural heritage. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as I landed in Africa, I was like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Within <laughs> minutes. And I had a big hangover yeah. when I arrived there. <laughs> the lads gave me a good send-off. Yeah. I knew I didn't. I was sitting there the first evening staring into the bush. Mm. And I was like, look, how do I make this the next 10 years of my life? And that was, that's, that was the mission. So I'm at 13 years now there. And definitely for the first few years, you know, that idea of I'm doing something that's bigger than myself, mm. which I had taken from my time in Klongos, helped me through the times where I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. And I was just working because I was, I was doing something that I was proud of, you know. So those type of things from Klongos were, is what sticks. As a man for others, something that within your group works, do you meet regularly? Is it more than a notion or is it a real thing? I think I went off on my own tangents. <laughs> Everyone went off. Men for yourself. <laughs> Well, I'd like, yeah, we talked about it. You know, you could take it that so far, mm. you know. It's good to keep that and, and be mindful of other people. And, you know, and I think in Klongos, it emphasized more on the people, whereas for me, the emphasis was more on this men for others, which is, to me, was nature. Yeah. And it's this thing that I'm going to leave behind, so why wouldn't I be involved in making it, it better for others after yeah. me? So... I think the guys went off and had their normal lives and, you know, they've, they're all successful and they're doing their things and doing great things. Mm. And families, I went off on this mad tangent. But still success where, and doing great yeah, things. So. Where I got to run around yeah. in nature yeah. and carry on being yeah, that 13-year-old boy. <laughs> being that 13-year-old boy yeah. uh, for as long as possible. But yeah, I was, I like, I would look at the education that I've, I've got going out there and getting the knockbacks and just working towards the thing that I want to achieve. Mm. And I that's I remember that leaving Klongos. It's like, it taught me that I could be successful. Well, give you the belief and yeah. the confidence, yeah. The belief to be successful. Yeah. So, and do any names of people that helped you along the way stand out good or bad? Or? Yeah, there was various people throughout the time, throughout the years. You know, we had Stephen Gray in our first year. I always remember, I can't, we can't, I can't remember who he was talking to, but... I'm shouting at someone <laughs> as they're <laughs> as they're running down the running away from him. Your ass is grass, and I'm a lawnmower. <laughs> so there's all these like amazing quotes, yeah. and he put a structure on us in in first year, mm. you know, and bedded us in, mm. and you know we had Ray Lawler as our Ray, Bob as our uh, was it French teacher? No, no, yeah. it was our our spiritual father. Spiritual I'm father. just trying to remember the the rudiments and grammar, what that was called, lower line now. Yeah, it was third whatever. line. Third, third line, line, that's third it. Line. And you know, he had such a warmth of mm. helping a lot of the kids that were struggling. Yeah. And and they do, let's be honest, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Some people are struggling, rudiments yeah. or elements is now to Christmas yeah. or more. 
he just gave them, I think he gave them a place in his office where they could go. Just bent and they could play cards with other people who were struggling. And so I think he showed some of the guys that they weren't by themselves, you mm. know. It's like, even though you are alone, you're, there's others around yeah. you that are feeling the same. Yeah. Don't be alone in what you're feeling. Yeah. And then the yo-yo craze came in, you know. <laughs> so everybody had a yo-yo. Yeah. And I don't know whether he was making top dollar off yo-yos or what. But, Shipping yo-yos. Oh, in. man, there was yo-yos everywhere. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it drove some of the prefects crazy. But I think, yeah, Adam Lewis, he was like the first outside kind of prefect that we had, or boarding master. Um, but him, again... I, uh, hopefully he's listened to this I'll never forgiven you for saying every night going to sleep time to go to bed Betty and it's just like <laughs> it was the worst dad joke ever <laughs> and uh, I still haven't really forgiven you for yeah. being so <laughs> it's for being it, for being so terrible well it's better being called Beady as you say yeah well, I had that everyone will get a laugh out of that one um, but like look Frank, Frank Kelly gave me a kick up the ass mm. in fourth year uh, made me come out of my shell a lot and said like listen you're going to grab your opportunities by both hands you know and then by sixth year we had Tom Carroll and he was one of the live-in live-in boarding masters mm. and obviously Mocky was there mm. and still there yeah still there and I was an unlikely house leader it surprised mm. me it surprised everybody mm. I think um, but it was the, the exact shot in the arm I needed before leaving mm. You know, that was, was you know, saying. Like, I gave you all self-belief or confidence. Yeah, stand up and, yeah, you know, you can lead as well, yeah, even yeah. though you're quiet, even yeah. even though you're different to, I was different to a lot of the guys in school, you know. Mm. Even though you're different, you know, you're part of the well, system yeah. and they're trusting. Yeah, and, and, and things, you can be different. You don't have mm. to be all the same. And they're trusting me. Yeah. They're trusting me to step up, mm. um, which that's what I needed. So, yeah, Tom Carroll, legend, good guy, really looked after everybody. I think he's still there doing, looking yeah. after people and <laughs> a brilliant English teacher, mm. you know, like gave my top score <laughs> in the in the Leaving Cert just by how he taught us. Yeah, He really knew how to teach, which is what, you know, someone who struggled with ADD in school kind of needed. So, yeah. yeah. You're bad. And if I asked you about music, Music. Neil, I what? tried. I tried music, but I didn't uh, have the what, attention what span. What songs would you remember Clong Goes By? To oh, put it right. another way, apart from your own musical talent. Well, we're, you're always going to remember <laughs> Father Sexton mm. um, and his Veni Sancti Spiritus and the whole Boys Chapel. Mm. Just the layers of harmonization. And you know, like, whether you liked going to Mass or not, I think in those moments, everybody was connecting to something and having a moment, even when he pitched in, in his, his solo, <laughs> his cameos, yeah. it was still worked, it was still brilliant, but mm. it, it definitely, all of that harmonizing throughout the entire school, mm. we were all at one in, in those moments. And whether that was the plan, which I'm sure it was, yeah, you know, those are the things that stick with you. You're asking me about what I asked if it was okay to say this. Yeah, everything's okay. All right, I have to give Peter Mallon a shout out. Metallica was a big... Uh, Metallica and was heavy dorm, metal and everyone will know Peter Mallon for his, his heavy metal <laughs> in the dormitory but yeah and I, I stayed across from him so he he introduced me to Metallica and I you know we went on to to go to many Metallica gigs together but I think for a lot of us standing out in sixth year would be the cup season mm. 
and <laughs> Gary Glitter and Rock and Roll, which is a phenomenal song, yeah. but it's a pity that <laughs> things the, have changed the, around the song. Yeah, yeah. that the, the guy has turned out to be the guy that he is, but yeah. look. The song still the, the same. song really yeah. kind of got that whole concourse rocking. Mm. And, you know, my dad made the jump jumpsuits for the <laughs> cheerleaders. <laughs> and if anyone remembers them. Shout the, out to dad. Yeah, shout out to dad. <laughs> Those are all parts of the memories and that concourse with the, the lights going and the guys charging down the stairs and that song, which really does get people Fun. moving. There was that concourse was moving like a wave on the ocean. You know, <laughs> we were all going, we we're all sta standing yeah. up or sitting down. And yeah. another time where you knew you were part of something different, not just a regular school, I suppose. Mm. And if you met somebody in Johannesburg now and they said you went to Klongo's, what was that like, Neil? How would you sum that up to them in a word, a sentence? Or? Well, you see, the South Africans, they're very used to boarding school system. Okay. So it's still very prevalent. So actually, I'm very, it's very easy for me to connect with a lot of the guys that I operate with. Because they've been there and done it. Because the they all come from boarding school backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny how their experiences, albeit their stuff, is on steroids sometimes because <laughs> it's Africa yeah um, especially the older guys yeah. of your generation that <laughs> I have that I hang out with no they have the unreal stories mm. and maybe I should flip the mic and ask you a few <laughs> questions oh we're very innocent Neil nothing um, happened like that yeah no we, it's all good stuff yeah. um, but no that's like the guys out there that I work with they know we have similar experience we're something about boarding school it's the same sort of bonds they have the same sort of connections so it's helped me integrate a bit with certain parts of South Africa. But if I was to meet meet guys over there, what, what would I say? I'd say not an experience for everybody, but you will be put out of your comfort zone. You will learn a lot about yourself. You will have friends forever, brothers, mm -hmm. family. And if you can, it's, it's definitely worth the experience. You'll come out of it a pretty decent person, I believe. Ian Betty, thank you for joining me today on Portraits of Congos. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.